0: Yo! Welcome back, Rebuilders, for part two of my episode with Ross Dempsey. Uh, this is a great listen. had an absolute blast. Uh, please check it out. Go over to Ross's channel. Give him a like. Give him a listen. Him and myself and Natasha Barnes will be doing an episode here really soon. So give it a listen. Hope you enjoy.
1: So, yeah, you raised a really interesting pod in my head. So you're talking about not kind of grinding through, which is like another point you made. You don't want to, you know, white knuckle it or just sort of like um, ignore how you feel completely or your life stress or anything like that. But how do you explain like the process of working out on the days you don't feel like it? You know, like how do you, as someone who's worked out for 20 years, how do you get yourself to the gym or get yourself moving um, and doing the thing you want to do, right? Right. When you just don't, for whatever reason, you know, like, you know, all the external factors we spoke of already, they, they come up as they, they naturally do in life. How do you almost, I guess, like put them to the side and just get to uh, your workout? I think the big key here is, is how you actually approach this. So
0: years ago, Jim Wendler, who I'm still a big fan of, uh, wrote an Elite FTS article. It might've been in, in one of the 531 books about punch the clock days. There's just days you got to go in and punch the clock. And that started to resonate with me. But you can still take a grind mentality into that. You know what I mean? You can still put the world on your back and I'm going to be like, this, this is going to be tough. And, you know, I, <laughs> I think a lot of people admire, but also greatly misunderstand David Goggins as just being like a complete masochist. And they take that role and they just start like beating the crap out of themselves. Like all the time, like, sorry, you're not trying to be a Navy SEAL. All right. Like this is lifting weights. So the approach instead, and what I prefer is to understand that. All right, cool. What I have, like my main goal when it comes to training is to maintain momentum. If I don't go in or I skip that workout or I I don't come in with any level of intent, the likelihood I lose momentum is higher. Do I lose results? No, probably not. Like whatever that may be. I just want to maintain momentum, but I'm not doing it in spite of something. I'm not doing it in spite of my fatigue or there's no, there's no enemy. And I think that's where people go wrong because they have this enemy. And then when you introduce enemy, you introduce defeat. And man, one of these days, that enemy is going to win. And now you've actually taken your own momentum and stifled it even more because now you've got guilt, now you've got shame, now you got all these other emotions that shouldn't even be part of the process. Like, why are they even there? You don't even need to introduce them. Think about it as, all right, got to keep momentum. I'm going to go in. Maybe you've taken a hiatus, right? Maybe so... I mentioned this behind me. It took five months for this to happen for my basement to get finished and for me us to get like our gym down here the way I wanted it to be. I lost a ton of training momentum because I didn't, I didn't actually have even space available to train for like two months. And I was hodgepodging stuff at local commercial gyms and like trying to put stuff together. And the first day back when this was put together, yeah, I was excited, but it was a, after a long day of work, I felt beat. And the only thing I thought to myself was, okay. I, I want to do this. I want to do this. Not I need to do this. I want to do this because this is going to be my first step in building momentum again. And I did it. I did the workout and it sucked. <laughs> Everything felt heavy. And the next day, I did it again. And a bit more momentum. And after about a week, I'd gotten back to a good groove. And two, three weeks later, I'm hitting PRs again and doing the thing. But I never like, I never put put extra weight on my back or extra emotion on my back. Like, that, this, this it's not something you need to introduce.
1: Yeah, look, the concept of momentum is so interesting. I, it's almost like this just inexplainable, like, just internal drive or push you have. And I was like, I, I went for a run yesterday even, and I was trying to explain to myself or think to myself, why am I doing this run? And I it it wasn't a PR. It wasn't fast. It was not, it was short. It was, it was slow. It was actually pretty challenging because it was kind of like sore and stuff. And uh, I was like, you know, why am I doing this? And it's just momentum was carrying me through. It's kind of like almost as though it's the person I become, you know? So it's kind of like, this is, you know, I'm a health professional or whatever I want to call myself. And if that's who I am, then I need to be physically active and I don't need to be like hardcore and like setting a PR all the time, but you know, I have to do something. I have to do what I can. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of like, I can't, it's almost hard to put words to, and it's definitely the opposite of like, oh, I have this uh, sort of uh, something I'm fighting against as well. It's not that, but it is, I guess it's just character. It's kind of like a character type of thing. What would you think of that? Well,
0: I, I 100% agree. And the way I've tried to visualize it lately, um, you, you always hear about like building a house, right? Like each workout's a brick. And that's cool, but nobody actually thinks about how they actually treat those bricks. Like, uh, yes, maybe now with like modern technology and stuff, I, I still don't believe this is actually true, but not every brick is completely uniform and perfect. Would you agree? It's got to be. It's got to be some area in there, especially with humans. Yeah, there's variation in there, right? Yeah. So imagine like you're building a house, and each one of your workouts is a brick. that but you're actually like molding that brick yourself. And then what happens is you put that up, you put that brick there, and then occasionally you decide to just take that thing and like throw it in the yard because you weren't happy with it, or to smack it with a hammer really hard because you're going to talk shit about yourself and the way you executed or the way you, you know, whatever. Oh, this run was too slow. And now that, that brick that you just built, that you put up on the, on the house has cracks in it because you just decided to be negative around it. And then the next one, right. There's a brick that's next to it, but now those two have to sustain each other from like an actual physics, structural, like engineering standpoint. And you took, you took time to actually smash a bunch of these. Now imagine how much, like if you, if you build that wall over a year, and you do this on a frequent basis, like how structurally sound is that going to be? It's probably not. So maybe you should not like, A, chuck bricks into the yard because it's just going to slow the process down. And B, maybe you should find wins instead of smashing 50% of your workouts because of some unrealistic expectation that you have of yourself and your brain. Build it solid. Some of them are going to be a little nubby you know, some of them aren't going to be super pretty, but standing together, they'll be able to create a strong wall. There's no reason for you to sit there and go out of your way
1: to, to bust half of them. Yeah, it's kind of, instead of grinding, it's kind of like your, you know, heroic deed was to like not, you know, call it quits on the, you know, the little streak you built up or the commitment you'd made to yourself or the house you're building, like you know, instead of like throwing that brick away, your your PR for the day that just that single day was like I didn't just smash the brick and let out all my anger and like you know uh, not stay aligned to like who I am or the commitment I made to myself, but I just you know I got to uh, I got to the gym and I just did what I could and that was huge because I had you know you had 101 reasons to to quit you know so yeah it's that's that's the kind of the beauty of working out it becomes so much more than just like moving the barbell from like A to B.
0: Well, there's so many aspects to it. And one of the reasons I'm so critical, I want to make this super clear too. one of the reasons I'm so critical of grind culture and like that whole thing around it is it actually eliminates evaluation. You just kind of like, I have to do this. So you go blindly and people don't ever really take a step back and go, wait, why is this not working for me? Like if it's a grind, if it's that hard to like get yourself up to do some of these things, like, okay, we have to actually stop, take a second, reevaluate the process here and find out where the gaps are to actually make this something that's better and sustainable because grinding has zero level of sustainability to it. it. It removes evaluation and you never actually look and say, how do I improve on this? And that's why in my personal opinion, especially for strength sports, People burn out in two to three years. It's because they're grinding and they never stop to learn and evaluate
1: how to make the process better. Yeah, that that, that brings up my next question then. So you know, the exercise is tough, you know, even though like, you know, I've been working on for like, you know, however many years and you've been working on for 20, it's still, it's not like it's it's easy, but um, how do you make the process better for people who find it like especially hard, who have like, let's say somebody's listening, right? And they have like zero motivation, but like they actually they still want to be active and, and work out, and they would like to be stronger or fitter. Um, you know, how do they make the process of exercise, of regular exercise, better for them? You got to connect to a better why.
0: I think that's what it really comes down to. And to be honest with you, people just need to be more fucking honest with themselves. I'm sorry, I probably just got you a big E next. No, to the all podcast. good. Look but it I hear this all the time. I hear it in business owners a ton, right? Well, or, or soon to be business owners, like their first goal is to leave their current job. And then, as soon as they leave their job, they're like, "Okay, now what?" You know what I mean? Like, it, it, they they lose that little bit, and they, they kind of get lost because the the why isn't big enough. So you hear goals like this all the time, and I, I understand it. It's they're they're popular, they're prevalent. I want to get stronger, or you know, I want to lose weight. Why? Uh, John Berardi is actually I'm a huge fan of, of John and what he did especially in the early days of Precision Nutrition, and he talks about the five whys. And it's not multiple different variations of why, it's literally just asking yourself why five times. I wanna lose weight. Why? Uh, because I think I weigh too much. Why? Oh, because you know my doctor said I've, I've, got, I've got to lose 30 pounds. Why? Because uh, you know, it's actually really negatively impacting my health. Why? Well, I want to be around for my kids and I want to see them graduate high school. and I want to see them get married and I want to see them actually do that. Now we have a reason. Now we have an actual reason. It's not this nebulous, like non-specific thing. I hate smart goals. I think they're stupid <laughs> because people have overblown them, but you really need to, to connect to a deeper why. Do you want to get stronger? I can tell you, I can tell you right now, the first reason why I wanted to get into strength training wasn't to just get stronger. It was to feed my own ego and feel better about myself than I did at the time. Because I had low self-esteem. I wasn't confident in myself. I didn't feel like I was athletically as gifted as the other people. I, I wanted to find a way to have that vent and find something to work towards. And it fed that. And then the, the, the why got bigger and bigger and bigger as time went on. But it took me a long time to get honest with that. And once I was honest with it, like that's when I just, this became life. You know what I mean? And in a positive way, people, people say like, oh, what do you mean? What'd you give up? I didn't give up anything. It just became something that was a
1: non-negotiable and everything's built around it now. In a really positive way. Yeah, really. I really positive way. I saw it, you know, it's not all about like, uh, what you achieve, but like you've squatted like over 500 pounds, which is like a lot, like probably closer to six I've seen. And like just the the confidence and the knowledge you have right now, it's like, it's telling, you know, it's kind of like you got honest and then you got results kind of thing, you know, but you have to like stick at it for a long time. Yep. A really long time. I mean, I
0: remember, I remember a lot of milestones throughout the process. I remember the first time I squatted four. I remember the first time I squatted five. I remember the first time I squatted six. I remember how long I was stuck at 644. I remember the first time I squatted seven. I remember the first time I had eight on my back. I've had 850 uh, in a suit before. I've done like all those things. I remember all those milestones. And I think the really interesting part is, and this is for listeners to understand. I remember when I was at hundred. I remember when I was at 200. Like I remember those moments too. Never forget where you came from either. And the the wildest part, that giant scary dude at the gym that you see like looking at you occasionally isn't judging you. He's just waiting for you to come and ask for a little bit of help because he's dying to actually be able to share knowledge. Like they just want to help. Most of the people that have been like gym rats forever, they don't want to impose the good ones, right? They're just like, They love this thing and they're waiting for somebody to be like hey man can you spot me and they'll be like hell yeah let's go do this
1: so yeah sorry small small tangent there yeah but no to get stronger to get you know uh anywhere with 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 your working out it like takes a lot of work so if someone asks you about it like you're gonna have a lot to say so yeah definitely ask people who you know they are where you want to get to in terms of strength and, and muscle muscular development, and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of like uh, trying to figure out exactly why you're doing it. Like just for example, for me, I, like using that kind of Socratic questioning of asking yourself all the whys, like um, for me, it kind of came down to just, you know, I think I have this belief that I'm like weak, you know, I'm not sure where it came from. I guess it doesn't really matter. But then I go in and I have, a really good workout and it doesn't have to be again like the pr or I don't have to grind through or anything like that but if i just move some weight around get my heart rate up or do something challenging physically exerting then i'm like you know i'm at least maybe i'm not strong maybe i've not gone from weak to strong but i'm at least i can say for certain that i'm stronger than what i thought it was when i walked into uh, the gym and that's the beauty of you know kind of like the barbell and, and regular exercise you know as a whole well, and that's
0: where people do need to take the next step because you can actually get stuck in that mental process for an extended period of time. And that's why perspective is so important. You know, I, I didn't mention what I can lift from an ego standpoint. It's because I remember those, those phases of my life and where I was and where I've come from. It's really important to be able to kind of readjust your internal viewpoint of, of self-worth a lot of people do start the journey off with a very low like that's a very low point for them but you don't want to stay there because then you get really really strong you see those those results and you see those things but your self-worth is still really really low you have to read readjust that barometer as you go through the process and this is where it got really popular for a while there for people to really only talk about process orientation and be like you just gotta love the journey you just gotta love the workouts yeah But you also have to see result to have that reset of barometer. So the the two things do go hand in hand. You have to take successes. You have to to take results and then use those results to remodify your your own personal self-belief. Because if you don't, then you'll still be stuck where you were two or three years ago
1: and, and wondering, like, why am I doing all this? Yeah, that goes back to the point of being honest with yourself. Like if you're not, you know, motivated or happy with, you know, your exercise routine or your level of fitness, it's like, well, maybe you're not making the the progress or getting the results that you know you can make. And that's why you're unhappy. You're not like, you're not being your best and you could, you know, uh, reevaluate, get a different perspective, uh, get back to the drawing board and plan out like a, a different approach to get you the results you deserve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Love it. Um, so just some some other posts you had, so uh we're we're talking about like you know thinking about lifting and and working out what are some thoughts that uh people should have, or maybe like single you know points to think about when they are lifting, so when they're doing like the squat, the bench or the deadlift man there that can be a really context dependent question, but i I'll, I'll be
0: honest with you, I think the number one thing that when people enter a training session, regardless of of what lift, they're going to do that particular day. You have to have a singular focus on getting better at something, right? Whether that's like, I want to, I want to not just hit a weight PR here or there. I want to execute well today. I want to like make it so my warmups move smoother today. That's how you also find wins. So when you enter a training session, number one thing on your mind should be, what's my win going to be today? What's the most important thing for me to achieve? And understand that it's not always going to be just lifting of the weight. When it comes to like, in particular, squat, bench, and deadlift, if we're talking about power lifters here, if, if you're coming up in a meet, you want to hit the numbers that are prescribed, you want to do all those things, but your number one thing is to execute 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 if you've got guardrails put on you by an rpe or percentage or something like that like you need to hit standard you need to keep technique tight and efficient not from an injury standpoint but from a training standpoint we want things to be efficient you need to hit your spots you need to execute and those are the things that become really important move with intent Have like have intentions. It's not just coming through and going through the motions, like get, get the things done. You need to get done and you can take that into bad days and good days. Cause if you, you dictate those and you get done what you can get done and you move with intent, you're going to have a a positive
1: training day. Yeah. If you uh, kind of don't have intent with what you're doing, if you go in and you're just kind of randomly, you know, moving about, you're going to get random results and that's going to be a surefire way to be demotivated and just, you know, not be, uh, happy with, with what you're getting. Well, did you
0: see that? Um, I don't have the reference here. Did you see that paper though, about walking with intent versus just general walking and like it's improvement on cardiovascular health and weight. So there's a study I'll have to find it. Um, it's, it's going all over Instagram. I think it was like one or two weeks ago. Uh, where they took subjects and one of them, they had like an actual planned walk and the other ones like the control group just had their normal daily NEPA, you know, cause I mean, as, as coaches and trainers and, and clinicians, we've always talked about NEPA non-exercise physical activity and how important it is. But they found that the walking group that had like an actual planned intentful walk saw a greater results in cardiovascular health and weight loss and higher calorie burn than the other with steps and like time walking adjusted so intent means a lot intent matters like if you want to move a bar as fast as humanly possible you have to do that with intent if you want to be super strong you have to move those things maximally not like oh i'm just getting reps in you know doing the thing like that's not
1: how you get stronger you have to move with intent and, and you can add in so much more intent or so much more meaning or purpose to what you're doing if you just kind of look in the right places or you think about it a little bit more, or even, you know, something simple as like you plan, you know, if you just plan, uh, that can go so, so far. Yep. Agreed. Uh, so you just mentioned injuries there. Um, and, you know, you do a bit of rehab work. that's probably like your, your primary work. So one of your other posts was uh, there are many ways we can reduce pain. So what are some of the ways that uh, we can reduce pain? Um, Is pain completely avoidable? Is pain a sign that something is wrong? You know, what's the story with pain? Pain is one of the most
0: complex subjects. You could do an entire series of podcasts strictly on pain. Um, A buddy of mine actually has an entire course on pain. Uh, But I'm going to answer one of these questions first. And that is, is pain avoidable? No. It is not in any way, shape, or form avoidable. Now, let me qualify and give a little bit of detail as to what I mean here. Pain is a normal survival mechanism. It can exist within an environment where there's tissue damage and when there is not tissue damage. And that's one of the things where I think a lot of people go, what? Now you've raised a couple of eyebrows, I don't understand what you're talking about. Pain can exist when no damage exists. It is a threat response from the body and the brain saying, whoa, 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 whoa. what is going on here? We've seen it on multiple occasions, some of the largest studies on low back pain, taking people with massive amounts of disability, massive amounts of, of inability to move or anything like that, have completely clear MRI scans or MRI scans that wouldn't indicate like anything malicious. Then you have these people that are walking around, competing, working, no pain, doing their thing with, like, miserable MRIs. <laughs> like, you look at and you go, oh, my God, how are you alive? Please, please sit down. Please sit down. So pain can exist in the absence of damage. So that's, like, one of the first, like, things for people to understand. One of the reasons that pain is unavoidable is because of those reasons. It's a normal human experience you stub your toe, like you're, you're, all those things are going to happen. You're going to get a toothache. If you train long enough, you're going to sustain some level of injury from training. Like it, it it's just going to happen because you cannot control literally all the factors that contribute to pain. But when it happens, what are some things that we can do to help mitigate it, manage it in a better, better sense? First and foremost, don't panic. If if there's a key to pull out of all the, all the big words that I just said, it's that pain is normal. We've treated it as abnormal. We've treated it as this like huge, terrible, big elephant in the room. It's not, it's a normal part of life. I mean, I'm sure there's everybody listening at some point has like been sitting in a chair, and like the side of their leg just starts randomly hurting. And you're like, what the hell is that? It just happens. So don't panic. Something happens in the gym. Something happens at home. So don't panic. Breathe first. Assess. Okay. What's going on? The next piece. Move as best as possible through it. And I cannot express this enough. Movement can be extraordinarily beneficial. Because like I said before, pain is a threat response. What you have to do is get the threat level to come down by, like, let's use your finger as an example, right? Smash your finger in a door. The whole thing hurts. You don't want to move it. As time goes on, you start to explore those ranges of motion and they don't hurt. You go, okay, I'm good through, like, here. Then you hit the spot that it does hurt. Okay, now I know where the, the boundaries are. But if you never moved it, you would just stick your finger straight out indefinitely for God only knows how long until it completely stops hurting and you lose function there. So move as best you can through it. I always say, like, keep it tolerable. The reason I use tolerable is because everybody has their own sense of pain and distress and those sorts of things. And then lastly, don't be afraid to tell somebody. Don't don't be afraid to tell your friend, your training partner, a clinician, something like that. Don't be afraid to actually voice that you're in pain. It's like, hey, this hurts. All right, cool. Because that'll give somebody else to help you figure it out. Like those are the big three things. Don't panic. Move as best you can, as early as you can.
1: And tell somebody. There's no need to suffer in silence. That's That's really effective because I find... I think I see it a lot of, uh, in a lot of other people, but also myself when I you know, heard something, the instant reaction is to catastrophize and then to kind of like pull back and be like, oh, you know, I can't do that or I can't move or whatever. And then to just sort of like maybe uh, hold it in and be like, you know, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll white knuckle it, I'll, I'll get through this, I'll be fine. So it's kind of, it's almost like, the typical reaction can be, or just in myself, is the opposite of the advice you gave, but the advice is very effective and it makes, it makes much better sense. And I know that when I recover well, for example, I had a shoulder injury, uh, I've applied that and, it, and the results bear out. Like It really does improve the recovery process.
0: Well, and it also allows you a learning opportunity. You know, if you, if you do this stuff for long enough, if you train for long enough, you'll start to find that you have options because... You're going to come in, and everybody's going to have their own lightning rods, right? We always use low back pain as, like, an example. That's because 80% of the population is going to have low back pain at some point in time. it's it's it, That's a normal human experience. But, like, I played rugby for years. I wrestled for years. I still do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I do all this stuff. And from old sports injuries, my left knee occasionally will just be achy. I'm 38, okay? I'm not, like, 12 anymore. So when I come down to the gym and I've got a squat heavy that day, I've got like 12 strategies to get around that at this point. Like, okay, let's, let's try tier number one, the thing that typically works every single time. Let me do that. Oh, didn't work today. Now I'm going to try number two. And that all happened from that checklist I just said. I, didn't, I don't panic. Let me keep moving, figure out what I can actually do, and let me tell somebody. And that way, I can start to troubleshoot and create my own roadmap of what that will look like in the future. Because now I have the opportunity to learn how to get around it. And if you do that, you can start to accumulate knowledge. And now it's not a big deal at all. Because what most people, what happens with most people, let's take your shoulder as an example. If like a couple weeks later you did it again, you're going to be like, "Shit, I'm not going to do anything." And that can be a moment that stops the learning process. So. Take that time, learn about it, figure out ways to work around it. So then in the future, you have options because having options is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, the situation, it could dictate a few different approaches, you know, trial and error experimentation. Whereas if you just have the one option, you know, uh, if you only have one of the three options that you gave, then you're pretty limited. Uh, So then uh, another uh, post you had was on focusing on progress not perfection. Um, and how do you avoid getting frustrated as well? You know, so, um, what are, what are ways that, uh, you can me- measure progress, but not like get caught up in, in being perfectionistic?
0: I have, I normally don't do book recommendations, but there is one that I absolutely love that really covers this topic. And I'll use their framework because I think it's absolutely genius. And if anybody has an opportunity to go get this book, I would say 100% go do it. It's called The Gap and the Gain. And it's an extraordinary book on how we conceptualize progress. And basically what it is, right, is everybody goes and looks at progress as the gap. They have a goal. That goal is over there. Now, that goal may or may not be realistic, but it is the the mind's eye of what we want reality to be. And where I am now to there is the gap. And people constantly measure themselves by the gap. But what they never do is look back and look at where they started to see the gain. And anytime you're in that negative place, anytime you're looking at it, you're looking at progress and going, oh, this is stalled, this is blah, 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 you're in the gap. You're looking at what is more than likely an unrealistic expectation and looking at the distance that you are between it and then. And even if you're super close, it doesn't matter because it's always framed as a negative. The best way to go about this is to actually start setting game landmarks. Okay, cool. Like I'm starting this block. Where's my starting point? So I can go back and look and say, all right, cool. Look at the progress I've made. And it may be one more rep and it may be five more pounds, or it may be, you know, just feeling generally better or whatever it may be, but you got to look at the gain and start to measure that as your actual progress and not the distance that you have from your goal as your progress. Phenomenal book. One of the best out there for that mindset kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of like making your perspective work for you instead of against you. So kind of setting is it like mini goals along the way to the, the bigger overarching goal you can set mini goals uh, the the book itself is pretty much framed in a very business sense
0: so it's like quarterly goals is the way they go about it but like in this particular instance you could look at you could look at quarterly goals if you're looking at you know lifting over the year you can look at training blocks and, and start to to break it apart that way and in that in that case so we talk about kPIs occasionally, key performance indicators, you have to pick the things that are important to you, right? Is that your max squat? Maybe. Is that your, you know, pace on a three mile? Maybe. But you got to pick those KPIs that matter and then have a starting point. This is where I started not two years ago before you had kids and like, you know, all, all of life happened. Like literally your most recent performance of that metric that's the starting point. And then you train through parts of your block and you can look at the game. Because the other, the, the, the big mistake people make with this is they try to measure the game from when they were like at peak performance on, in a once in a lifetime performance type thing. And they're like always trying to chase that. No, that's actually, the, you're in the gap again. So most recent performance, use that as a KPI and then build, build a program forward from there so you can look back at that most
1: recent performance KPI. Yeah, for some people, they, they they hold on to like their previous best when they were like you know no kids you know no responsibility, and like totally just like perfect circumstances, and they forget like you know the gap in between where they are where they were then to, to now is like you know they're like working professional with kids or like just you know so many more different responsibilities, and it's like you might not ever get back there again, but you can definitely make a significant. Amount of progress. Um, if you just kind of shift your perspective. Yep. 100 percent Yep. So just one of the the final questions here. The debate that uh Kevin Bass brought up about uh uh-huh. the squat and the deadlift being dangerous, specialist lifts. So he's recommended that most people they don't. I want to be kind of clear about like you know what he said. So I'm pretty sure it was. That most people shouldn't squat and deadlift heavy. I think that's what he said. So, you know, if we just if we just kind of give him the strongest argument or the strongest point, you know, to to operate from, we'll say, you know, so his case is that the average, you know, Gen Pop person should not lift, you know, two x body weight on the squat or the deadlift. Take it away. What, what what's your opinion on that, Jim? I I would actually find that piece hard to disagree with. Is it's
0: typically not somebody's actual goal. Um, but when I, I this, this set the world on fire a couple of weeks ago on Instagram. And I know it was just one of those things. I have no idea who this person was until it finally happened. So there's always a piece of me that's wondering like, wow, this is a really inflammatory thing to say to get a lot of uh, eyeballs on your content. What I have, uh, when I read his article, when I looked at the little, it, it's not much, it's a, it's a small blog, When I looked at it, there were a couple things that jumped out at me, Uh, and a lot of it, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I try to tune really closely into language usage and how it's used. And one of the things in particular in there that threw a bunch of red flags for me is the countless number of disabling injuries occurring across the country, like this really elaborate scare picture. So that's where I actually want to go into this. Because if you look at the incidence of injury in a sport like powerlifting or in Olympic weightlifting, their injury rate per thousand hours of activity is extraordinarily low compared to literally every other sport in the world. So the injury rate of this massively debilitating large number of people is actually really low. And the act, the number is anywhere between 1.0 and 4.4 injuries per 1,000 lifters. I, literally, I have it right in front of me. Paper from 2021 that went over 11 injury studies within powerlifting and weightlifting. Now, the argument may be, John, these observed trained individuals, right? Now, we're going to go into the, the, the science methodology nitty-gritty. Yes, 100%. Is that going to skew the evidence? Well, absolutely. My argument though is that yes, they are trained individuals. They are able to use a higher load and have a higher capacity for using that load. Why do we all of a sudden view gen pop as completely different when their skill sets lower? So the intensity being able to handle is going to be lower. So their risk is all going to be skill dependent, and if if skill dependency is the largest risk factor of something that is a squat or a deadlift, from a functional standpoint, and I, I always hesitate to use that word because it just got like bastardized for years, but like from a functional standpoint, don't we want their skill set to be greater? Wouldn't we want people to do like? general foundational movements with implements that load them appropriately and give them the ability to actually get better at them. Because I would much rather have you know my grandparents able to pick up a box from a seated position in a much more comfortable way than not. So that's that that's my argument to the approach. It's the fear mongering of injury around it. Sure. Do I think everybody should lift heavy? <laughs> I don't think it's absolutely necessary. No, I really don't. You look at the the Department of Transportation, the Department of Labor standards in the U.S. Like seventy five pounds is the most what, what most people are going to lift in their occupation on a daily basis. Okay, I get. It. I'm that guy that gets the the box from Amazon that's like team lift, and I'm like, I got this shit, and I take it into the house by myself. Like I'm that nutcase. Okay, I get it. That's my bias. Do I think people need to lift extraordinarily heavy? No. But do I think some of
1: these things are foundational movements? 100%. They're the most effective movements for a reason. And it's like, I think uh, just the, the word heavy, it's like, it's so individual, you know, like there's some arbitrary guidelines, like, you know, you should be able to bench like your body weight, for example, or, you know, deadlift, two extra body weight. But like, that's just, that's in general. Like if we're talking about people, our grandparents age, for example, it's like, you know, 75 pounds at 90 years old is, it's a lot, that's heavy. So that's how much they sh- you know, should be aiming for, but you know, maybe they don't get there or maybe they get higher, but it's just an individual response that's needed. And this, yeah, the fear mongering, it's just going to promote inactivity, which is already a huge problem. We need to be promoting the opposite. So here's, here's my last piece.
0: And this is the first time I'm posing this argument. So, I'm hope, hopefully, I formulate this well. If, if this is massively like all over the place, you just say, John, shut up. A lot of the things we look at when it comes to physical activity and, and exercise selection for Gen Pop is for injury risk reduction along the lines of fall risk. Fall risk is still a super prevalent thing. Tons of people die from falling on a regular basis in the United States, still. And they fall not because of the fall itself, but because of the injuries sustained in the fall that put them in a position where quality of life decreases substantially and they're not able to live the way they want to live. You break your femur in a fall, there's a problem. So I've heard the alternatives that people pose when it comes to like adult squat deadlift, single leg Romanian deadlifts, single leg squats. Many of these things that are very difficult to load and also have a very high balance component even if they've got like an, a balance assist or something like that. And my argument is actually with load. I mentioned earlier that loading the skeletal system increases bone mass and bone density. We need, and it's commiserate with load. It's, it's literally proportionate with load. The more load, the more stimulus, the more bone density. So if we're looking at that, we wanna look at superior loadable exercises to create the adaptation that we want, a single leg Romanian deadlift. And this goes back to like, I think it was Mike Boyle years ago that was like single leg squat superior than a a back squat or something like that for developing leg strength. It's like, it's just not loadable in the same way. A single leg Romanian deadlift or a single leg squat or a step up or anything like that is not gonna get to the required load for the adaptations that I want to decrease fall risk to help a bone stay intact under the forces of the fall. Because that's the last piece of math we need to really do here. Because the bone actually has to be able to withstand the force from the fall. And the only way to do that is to load it so they can, can actually sustain those loads. Single leg Romanian deadlift, will it help? Yeah. Is it superior? No. Single leg squat, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Yes. Is it superior from a loading standpoint? No, I'm gonna look at load as one of the biggest factors in health and survivability from a fall than anything else. Because if they fall and they live and they don't break a bunch of bones when they do it,
1: we won. So we wanna get as strong as possible for as long as possible and and load is, is the way to do that and yeah that whole point about like balance or you know variety or you know avoiding load it's kind of like well the way around that is you know you do your your loaded exercises and then you just add in the variety of the single leg stuff as well so you get the best of both worlds you know it's mm-hmm. like you get your you get your uh bone density benefits from lifting heavy and then you get your balance benefits from doing your single leg stuff so you get you get it all you know it's like it, you can't you can't have both you know but um to not have getting stronger as the primary goal is just not going to build strong people that are resilient and able to bounce back after a fall. Bingo. So Through a lot out there though. Hopefully that did make sense. We did. Yeah. But there were, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an ongoing discussion and something that people have to think about for themselves. Like how much, you know, kind of like you said earlier, how much do they really want to incur that risk of, of lifting heavy? And and what is heavy for them individually? You know, like, so uh, that's something to really think about and consider and talk about with an expert, you know, like a health professional or a coach. Yeah. What is heavy is really important. You know, like
0: how many times do you have somebody in the gym with where you work right now, go to an actual like RPE 10?
1: Rarely if ever.
0: Rarely if ever. Right. My RPE 9 and somebody else's RPE 9 from like a general outlook of what heavy is are going to be substantially different but using guidelines like rate of perceived exertion that's why it exists so heavy is always going to be relative heavy to them may not be heavy to you maybe it not be or it may be massively heavy it it just has to fit what they're actually looking for
1: absolutely yeah fit what the individual's preferences and, and desires and goals are. And just on a side note, RPE it's just a scale used to gauge intensity. Um, and and the more you lift, the more useful it becomes. And a ten would be absolutely maximum that you couldn't do any more reps with whatever weight you're using. Um, so yeah, thank you very much, John, for uh, a fascinating uh, discussion. Is there anything you want to mention? Uh, final message you want to wrap up on before we finish?
0: No, I mean if anybody has any questions, I'm an open book. Uh, shoot me a message on instagram it's at rebuild underscore stronger literally i'm a message away like you got a question you want to chat i'm here you can ask ross i was
1: just like yeah what's up man yeah so th- please any messages you guys have let me know brilliant i'll attach your uh, your links in the show notes um so thanks very much for your time john absolutely man appreciate it
0: what's up rebuilders thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe to the channel Also, leave a rating that helps people like you find the show and reach more people. Appreciate you. See you at the next one.